0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those of you who are online as well. We're glad that you are here with us this morning. So good to see all of your faces this morning. So very thankful for Joe Wells and for Clint Davidson for filling the pulpit last uh, week. Uh, Not because I was gone, but because that was part of their job. But we're so blessed to have such great servants in the kingdom of God, serving this congregation. And of course, the brotherhood uh, around uh, our uh, part of the country. Um, last week, Lori and I, we were down for a minister's conference down in Norman, Oklahoma, and then following that, we went down south of Oklahoma to where I was born in the Kaimishi Valley, and, and we went to church to a, with a in a small congregation in Albion, Oklahoma, which is about Probably the building is probably the size of maybe a third of what our building is, and there are about 28 of us there, but it was a wonderful time of worshiping together with those folks that were there, but it sure made me miss this congregation here at home, so I'm glad to be back among you and seeing your faces this morning. Before I get into the lesson, let me make you aware of several important announcements. Number one, remember the ladies' retreat that's coming up September the 17th and 18th. For the men, remember that we have our men's retreat as well on September the 24th and 25th. Unburdened Scott Keel from the Broken Arrow Congregation in Oklahoma is going to be sharing with us lessons, men. And so I'd encourage you to set those dates aside as well. And then about a month and a half from this date here, we're going to be having our 19th Spiritual Growth Lectureship. Uh, there is no proof of, of God, and we're going to be talking about evidences. And I can't tell you, that this is going to be an exciting um, a lectureship. In fact, I'm probably more excited about this lectureship than I have in a number of years because of not only the quality of speakers but the subject matter in which they're going to be talking about. Where they're going to be sharing with us evidences that prove that God truly does exist. Uh, I think by next week you're going to have a schedule of the, the lessons themselves as well as a bio on each of our speakers. And you're going to see that these men are absolutely incredible when it comes down to the information that they're going to be sharing with us. They're going to be sharing with us lessons like, you know, why is science a Christian's best friend? They're going to be talking about the assumptions of the age of the universe. They're going to talk about evolution. Is that something that you can really base your life upon? Does suffering prove that there is no existence of God? They're going to be talking about the theological argument, you know, order and design. They're going to be talking about the ontological argument. Uh, I mean, listen, they're going to be talking about a lot of things that are just so great. And so I'd encourage you to not only be here yourself, but encourage others and get on Facebook and get this thing out there and share it. We are sending out over 64,000 mailers to our community. Every household in Meridian will receive an announcement of this upcoming uh, lectureship. We have put out, uh, I think we're going to have seven billboards, five in the Meridian and, and Boise area, as well as a couple over in Napa. This has the means of really encouraging people and building up their strength and their faith that God truly does exist. And so I really want to encourage you to be thinking about those dates and that uh, make sure that you're sharing it with those who are around you. Well, in our own growing series on the subject of the king and his kingdom, we've been talking about how unprecedented it really is. We started talking a couple of weeks ago about the kingdom parables, which are found mainly in the 13th chapter of Matthew. You can also read them over in Mark, the fourth chapter, and Luke, the 13th chapter. But the greatest concentration of the kingdom parables are found right here. And it's important to understand what the kingdom parables are about, because in these parables, they reveal the secrets of the kingdom and what the kingdom is about. If you are a Christian, then you, of course, are added to the church, but you're also a part of the kingdom kingdom. And as kingdom citizens we need to know how we are to conduct ourselves and we need to know some of the secrets about what the kingdom's value really is about so i share with you a couple of the secrets that we have just noticed thus far the first one had to do with the value of the kingdom that jesus shared he shared the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value or great price And in that parable, the secret there is is that the kingdom is so valuable and the blessings within it are so valuable that a person is willing to sell everything that they have. For us, it would mean that we'd be willing to sacrifice everything in order to obtain these blessings. And so, the value of the kingdom is one of its secrets. Then, I shared with you a second secret that is found over in the parable of the sower. And there, Jesus talked about the foundation of receiving the kingdom that is directly connected to the word of God. The foundation of the kingdom has to do with God's word itself. And not only does it have to do with God's word itself, it has to do with the receptivity of it. So in this particular parable, Jesus talked about four different kinds of soils that we said are much like four different kinds of hearers. Some would say it's four different kinds of hearts. It's the same thing, but it all has to do with receptivity. In one case, he says that there are those who are unresponsive to the, the word itself. It doesn't penetrate at all. Then he talked about a superficial kind of hearer, where there is moderate you know, penetration, but when things begin to happen in the world, it dies out. Then we talked about the worldly hearer. There you have more penetration. The plant does come up, but because of the cares and worries of the world itself, it, it just kills the plant it, itself. And then Jesus talked about the receptive hearer. And in the receptive hearer, he says to us that that person begins to grow and they're able to produce a crop of 30 and 60 and 100 fold. In that parable itself, we learned a, I think what we would call a a human tragedy. And that is that the vast, vast, vast majority of people that hear the word of God will not be concerned with it. They'll be unconcerned about the word of God and the kingdom itself. They're not going to be unconcerned. There are those who are going to have a moderate concern about it, but will soon reject it and, and put it aside. And in the end, we find out there's just very, very few people are receptive to what God has to say to them and the blessings of the kingdom that are offered to them. And that in and of itself is, in my estimation, so sad. Because when you think about the, these people who are gathered around the shore of Galilee and they're hearing this parable laid out before them, they had to be wondering to themselves, you know, am I that, that person? What kind of hearer am I? How am I receiving the word of God? And so 2,000 years later, we find ourselves asking that exact same question Am I hear of God's word? Or am I allowing it to penetrate into my mind and to go into my heart and then change the way that i think and the way that i talk and the way that i act it's talking about the word of god entering into our lives in a receptive kind of way that it changes our lives that it penetrates every part of our being that's what the parable of the sower really is about and that's why jesus said you know he that has ears to hear let him hear so opening our, our ears, opening up our hearts and our minds to what God is saying to us is so important when you talk about kingdom matters and the foundation upon which the kingdom is, is founded, which is God's word it, itself. Well, you talk about the worries of the world. Those who are listening to this parable on that day, just an imagination on my own, but I I, I get to thinking when Jesus is telling them that the vast, vast, vast majority of people will not hear, Only if you will hear and be receptive to it, that had to be discouraging. That had to make them feel somewhat insignificant. And when you think about our world today and what's going on around us, where there's a lot of things that are happening in our world that can be discouraging, that maybe even make us feel somewhat insignificant. Danny in his prayer talked about some of this virus that come out. Well, what can you do about that thing? How do you Fight this virus. Sure, we can wash our hands, you can wear masks, and you can isolate and social distance. You can even get vaccinated, but even then, people still get this virus. Now, I personally believe that eventually the thing will, you know, be less than what it is. But until then, it becomes such a challenge to us, and it, feel, it makes us feel as though, well, what can I really do about, you know, taming this thing down, or or doing away a with it? Or maybe you are looking just world matters in our nation, along with just The idea of inflation taking off what ten dollars used to do and twenty dollars used to do doesn't have near the buying power that it did several years back. And if you don't think inflation is a real thing, just go to the gas station and fuel up your car and you'll find out that, hey, something's happening here. And then, of course, he mentioned Afghanistan, the things that are happening there and the tragedy of that. And then you talk about the church itself here at Linder Road. And do we sometimes feel insignificant when you think about the mission that we have been given to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to spread the kingdom, to spread the word of God, to increase the, the kingdom? How you know how are we gonna do that? It just feels so overwhelming, especially when you think about an earth population of around 7.8 billion people. And if you were to just to narrow it down to our vicinity in the Treasure Valley, you have almost six hundred thousand people. And if you just narrow it even further down than that, down to meridian, you have what a hundred and twenty thousand plus of individuals that are out there, so many of them lost. A lot of those of the vast, vast, vast majority of people who will not hear. How do you deal with that? It just doesn't it seem overwhelming to you. Uh, what significant impact can we have upon the kingdom? And the answer to that is that I think we have a very significant impact as we do what Jesus asked us to do, and that is spread the word, to get the word of God, to plant as many seeds as possible and to, with those that we come into contact with. But I want you to know this, that when you talk about the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower is not about kingdom growth. It's about kingdom receptivity. It's about receiving the word of God and allowing it to penetrate into us to the point that eventually we become harvesters of good things. So the parable of the sower is not about kingdom growth. It's about kingdom receptivity. This next parable that I want to share with you that Jesus shared it's found over in Matthew, the 13th chapter, is about kingdom growth. And it's called the parable of the mustard seed. And in that mustard seed parable, you find a, a secret about the kingdom. And the secret about the kingdom that has to do with growth is this. Great things happen from small beginnings. We don't expect the kingdom to grow like this. In fact, when we look at it, we think that does, doesn't seem like it should work like that. And yet we find out that it's not only a a natural condition, but it is a spiritual one as well, or a spiritual precedent, that things start out small in a way that you would least expect it then grows very large. So look at Matthew, the 13th chapter, if you will, and let's let's look at verses 31 and 32. Jesus presented another parable, parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it's larger than the garden plants, it becomes a tree that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. You found this over in Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 32 and 30, uh, 30 through 32. You find also in Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 18 and, and, and 19, the same parable, but there he talks about a secret about the kingdom, and that is that small things or great things happen from a very small beginning. And so he talks about a mustard seed, which he says is the smallest of all the seeds in the garden. And the pitch behind you gives you an idea of actually how small a mustard seed is. And he sows it in the garden and he says, and it grows significantly beyond anyone's imagination to become the greatest tree in the garden itself. And it's so big that he says that the birds come and gather and, and lodge in its, in its branches in their nests. So the kingdom starts off very insignificant and very small, but soon it is growing like crazy. No one could have imagined how, insignificant, how an insignificant size of a seed could grow to such significance. And that's what the kingdom is about. Understand, Jesus is not talking about botany here. He's talking about the kingdom. And so he says the kingdom is likened to a mustard seed. Starts out very insignificant, very small, but then it becomes something extremely significant and something that is impactful for the garden itself. So let me share with you some insignificant beginnings of the kingdom and and church. Imagine if you were... Uh, those who are getting ready to enter into the kingdom, and Jesus had just spoken this parable to you. This is how the kingdom is going to begin. It's going to become insignificant. I don't know if the apostles really grasped that, or the disciples grasped that. I don't know. Sometimes if we don't grasp the same thing, and that is, is that when the church was to begin, it's going to start off very small. There are going to be twelve men who are called out of their natural duties in life to become fishers of men. They're going to enter into that cause there with Jesus Christ. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to resurrect from the grave, and then he's going to give them a mission. And the mission is that you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the world. I would have been thinking to myself, there's just 12 of us. How do we significantly impact the world that is around us? Here we are as a congregation at Linder Road, a congregation of a little over 400, when all souls are, are are counted here, and we look at a world population of 7.8 billion people. You can't even get your mind around so many people. Even 600,000 is hard to get your mind around, or 100,000. It looks at you know. It looks as though how can we possibly approach that and attack such an overwhelming mission that has been given to us? And yet the apostles are called to be witnesses that eventually a message would go out out into the entire world itself, starting out with just 12 apostles. And as you get over in Acts chapter 1, there you will find 120 that are disciples that are there as well. My point is this, that when it comes to the kingdom or the church, things are not always as they seem. Human beings have a way of looking at things. God has another way of looking at things. Jesus certainly had another way of looking at things. And so he talks about the kingdom and he compares it to a mustard seed. And yet things are not as they seem. For instance, the book of Acts records the growth of the seed. So let me just take you on a fast overview of the book of Acts and how the church grew. And as we go down through these passages of scripture, I want you to notice the emphasis that Luke puts on numbers, okay? He doesn't always give you just a number, but he'll tell you that it was multiply or it was increasing or that it was growing. And just notice some of the things that are said. Remember in Luke, uh, in Acts 1 and verse 8, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. When you get to verse 15, there you'll learn that there are also 120 disciples who are still following after uh, Jesus. As you get to the second chapter, Peter stands up among the twelve and he begins to preach the first gospel message to those who are in uh, Jerusalem. His message has an effect, of, uh, an effect to those who are hearing and the result of that is it says that they are pierced in their hearts in verse 37 and they ask the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you look at verse 41 of Acts 2, there it says that those who received his word were baptized and they were added on that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000. Now you've went from 12, 120, now to 3,000 souls are now added to the church and to the kingdom itself. As you look at verse 47, it says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those, those who are being saved. As you get over to Acts, the fourth chapter and verse four, it says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Look at the fifth chapter and verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Look at chapter six and verse one. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, look at verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests were becoming obedient to the faith. My point in this is is that this is all within a two-year period, or less than a two-year period. You see the church that began out very small as a mustard seed, a very insignificant small group of individuals. Now it's grown increasingly with great multitudes of people. Some have said that the church in Jerusalem grew to around 50,000. It's an incredible growth spurt that you see here. And then the message begins to go out from Jerusalem. And it goes into Judea, to Samaria, to the most parts of the world. In chapter 8 and verse 12, Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel there. And it says, and many people were believing and were being baptized. Look at chapter 9, if you will. Chapter 9. And notice what he says in verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, and the Lord went... No, that's not the one I wanted. Okay, let's go to verse 35, because I know that's the one I want. That should be 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Look at verse 35. And all who believed in, in Lida and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Look at verse 42. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. In chapter 10, you see Cornelius and his household are baptized. These are the first Gentiles. Up at this point, it's all Jews who are being baptized. And now you find Cornelius in his household, the first Gentiles in the church. And then you see the gospel begin to go out into the Gentile region with Paul and Barnabas. Look at chapter 11, if you will. Notice verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Look at verse 24. For he was a good man, speaking of Barnabas, and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Chapter 14. Chapter 14 and verse 1. In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that large numbers of people believed, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Chapter 16, and verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. And finally, chapter 17 and verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So what's my point? My, my point is, is that the church begins in a very insignificant manner. Just like Jesus said in the parable of, of the mustard seed. It what looks like the, the kingdom of heaven is, is like a mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds in the garden. Insignificant. But it grows to be the greatest of all the plants in the garden, and that's what he's talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. He's talking about people who begin small in numbers, but before you know it, are turning the world upside down. And when you get over to Colossians 1 and verse 23, there it says the gospel had gone out to the entire known world. That's incredible to start with such insignificance and to grow to such significance. That's what the kingdom is about. That's what the church is about. So as it is with a mustard seed turning into a great tree, so it is with the kingdom or the church that has impacted the entire world and is the greatest of all religious movements ever, one that will never be outpaced or outdone no matter what happens around. So when it comes to the kingdom or to the church, things are not always as they seem. It spreads from individual to individual. It spreads from community to community, from state to state, from country to country. It extends its influence from continent to continent, from island to island. It's powerfully influenced the civilization of all nations. I mean, it's went everywhere. And so when you talk about the significant beginnings of the church and the insignificant beginning of the kingdom it soon grows extremely large, and spreads to all the entire known world itself. And it begins all the way back when Jesus asked his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" And Peter will eventually say, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." I mean, did that sound? I mean, that's a huge statement. But if you had been listening to that day, how huge do you think it would have been in their minds? Jesus said upon that statement, upon that rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He's going to build something incredible. It's going to start small, but it's going to grow huge and, and, and large. And there over in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 28, there the writer of Hebrews says that we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's that strong. It's on that kind of a foundation and a bedrock that is there, which is the fruition of what Daniel said, you know, thousands, millenniums before the church began in Daniel, the second chapter in verse 44, where it says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It's talking about what we are a part of. That's significant. That's significant when it comes to who we are. And so when we look around at the ocean of humanity, we may seem as though we are insignificant as a congregation in terms of our impact, or maybe even insignificant as individual Christians thinking to ourselves, what can I possibly do? How can I impact the world around me to help the kingdom, to help grow the the kingdom? And the answer is, is when someone says that you can't do anything, you're too small, you're too insignificant, don't you believe it? You are significant. You play a significant role because every soul that is saved is a victory. And every soul that is saved goes to heaven. And every soul that's saved becomes a part of the church and becomes a part of the, the kingdom. I just want you to know how significant you are. I want you to, to know this morning that you are the household of God. That's incredible. You are the family of God. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are the redeemed, the forgiven, that were purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Your brothers and sisters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're the bride of Christ. Insignificant? I don't think so. I think we all are, or all very significant. How significant are you? You're so significant that God would send his son into the world to die on a cross. In order that he might establish his church and his kingdom, and that you would become a part of that citizenship. That's significance. And when it comes down to the mission that is placed before us, all of us have a role, a significant role, in the persons that we come into contact with that give us opportunities to spread the seed. Here's the second thing I want you to understand. The Christian walk starts off insignificantly. Everyone starts off kind of in the same place. I know for myself, I started off as a babe in Christ. I didn't know the books of the Bible. I didn't know the difference really between Old Testament and New Testament. I knew of Jesus Christ, and I learned about him, and I know that he is the Savior of the world, that he shed his blood on the cross in order that I might be saved. It took me a while to figure out how to go through it and how to go about it, but I eventually was obedient to the gospel and was baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins, and my faith began to grow like a mustard seed. It began to grow. It went to my heart and germinated there, and it began to grow, and then it began to produce fruit. And some days it's like 30%, 30% and other days it's 60 and other days it's 100-fold. But my point is, is that it starts off insignificantly, but it grows very rapidly into something that is significant, where we begin to realize our own significance as human beings. Think about Abraham. He wasn't significant in Haran when God called him. He wasn't a great man. He wasn't the the leader of a great nation, but he became eventually the father of our our faith. This morning, for the last couple of Sundays, or Sunday two weeks ago on this, I talked about Gideon, the smallest of the tribes of Israel, the youngest in his family, but he went along with 300, and God being completely behind him was able to rout the Midianites, 135,000 of them to be exact that's in- incredible or peter who was just a fisherman but jesus says follow me and i'll make you a fisher of men and so he become a foundation pillar of what the church is about or paul who was a persecutor of the church who had ever thought that he would become such a prolific leader within the church and would have such a great impact in the church of his day, and in our day as well, to become the great apostle Paul. Or Matthew, who was a tax gatherer, who would sell all and give himself completely over to Jesus. In fact, the first gospel in your Bible is Matthew. He is the author of that gospel. Or what about Simon, who was a political zealot, becomes zealous for Jesus Christ, I'm talking about people that, when the world looks at them, would not see anything significant about them, but when Jesus looked at them, he saw great potential. The only ones that, probably the only one that any of us would have even given a chance of being successful was maybe Judas, but we know what happened to him. These men, these eleven men, and those 120 disciples that started out as a started out as a mustard seed became significant when it came down to the kingdom, and as I mentioned, they became the beginning of the greatest religious movement of all time, and remain remains so even to this day. You see, when you talk about the mustard seed, that's not the end of things. It's where everything begins. It's where each of us begin, the in, insignificance to become insignificant to God. I like what Peter saw and said, All great things have small beginnings. Well, he's about 2,000 years late with that incredible statement there because Jesus had already made it in the parable of the sower. He may not have said it in that way, but he certainly did say it when it comes down to the meaning of the parable of the mustard seed itself. Listen, all nature proves that all things start small and become big. Take the bald eagle. I mean, it just doesn't become this, this incredible bird. It starts off as an egg. Even the great rivers of the world take the Columbia River, 1,240 miles long, a wide, the great, you know, it's the largest river in the, in the Northwest. It's an incredible river, but it starts off as a trickle up in Canada. I've been there. I put my feet, and it's just a small trickle of a thing, and then it becomes this huge, giant a river beginning with a trickle. Or even when it comes down to a forest fire, well, most forest fires are often started by a small spark, but then you have a large fire itself. And every morning that you get up out of bed, if you get up early enough in the morning, each day, each dawn begins with a glimmering of hope as the sun rises and begins to move up into the day, and the day becomes something that is wonderful. Have you noticed lately just how beautiful the days have, have been? Last Sunday after church, um, I took my mother's ashes down with me and, and we buried her beside my father who was laid at rest there in a little place called Clayton, Oklahoma. That day we were outside. It was 100 degrees and about 98% humidity. I mean, it was, it was hot and it was humid. And when I got home, I thought, man, does this feel good? You know, I don't have to do anything with my hair. It stays perfect now. <laughs> God is so, is so incredible in so many ways. So when you talk about the parable of the mustard seed, well, he's talking about you. And he's talking about me. A seed being scattered, sown into our hearts, us having the patience to allow it to germinate there and to penetrate and to grow within us. And then finally realizing our significance as we begin to produce fruit in our lives that eventually becomes a harvest to those who are around us. Remember, great things start from small beginnings. Yesterdays make our tomorrows. The parable of the mustard seed may refer to anything in terms of just thought. Anyone or any situation that credits success or achievement is simple simple has a simple tiny beginning that's just a principle in life but here jesus is referring to the kingdom that he is going to establish and the church that he would build and its growth and you're part of that you're part of that that makes you very significant no matter how insignificant you may feel so the question for you this morning is this is where is your faith this morning If you have the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus said you could move mountains with that. If it's the size of a mustard seed, that's a great place to start because that's the beginning of life. And that's the beginning of the harvest. And that's what the kingdom is about. So where are you this morning? What kind of hero are you? And then you have the faith of a mustard seed to grow in your faith. The response is yours as well. What together we stand and sing and give you opportunity. Won't you- Have you seen?